Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, boy, the bigger than I thought you were God, and you understand me. That means so much to a person, to be understood. The me, your personal story. It's actually one of the big changes of Bettendorf Christian. We've always had a story to tell, the good news of Jesus, but now we're keying in on your story in order to tell God's story, because everyone's story is important. So that me growing up in your family, um, like, uh, what was that like? Um, where yet you in your birth order? Because I'm the last of five. And uh, my story starting out was simply, I'm sure after each birth, mom and dad were happy with what they got. But they said to themselves, we can do better than that. And they kept trying. They get to number five. They saw this work of art that they created. They thought, we can never improve on that. And they stopped. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I wish it were that way, but that's not how it goes at all. No, no, no. When you get to this part in the family, you're surprised when they even notice you're around, okay? I do not want to hear you firstborns complain, because when you came into the world, all the attention was on you. Man, the pictures were by the thousands. They filled like tape cabinets and databases full of your video files. You middle children, you got a scrapbook of some pictures, you know, some video files. <laughs> By the time you get the last in the line, there are no pictures of us except when others are present. I mean, it's like, you know, I don't know who this is. Uh, honey, what's his name again? You know what I mean? <laughs> we had a school project on, and they wanted us to bring our baby pictures. So I went home, asked mom for a baby picture. Oh, she dug and she dug. She came up to one when I was like three years old. Seriously, mom, you know, farthest you can go back, you know, with that thing. I'm just saying. Well, there it is in this whole scheme, God in his goodness and his greatness, our eyes on you, Lord, he turns our eyes on you. And that changes everything. So we've got to talk about your identity. Now, if you know Tim Scott, you know I'm big on activity, <laughs> the doing, because I am always, I want to see things move. I love a variety of things. I want to keep changing things up. Unfortunately, that observation is always true that it seems like every part of the time, 10% of the people are involved in actively changing things. 10% of the people are always actively resisting the change. And then the other 80% just sit there. You know, just drives me nuts, you know. Come on, let's move. So this activity really begins somewhere else. And that's what I have to get a hold of what God's idea of change. And I don't know if you have a Bible, just real quick, man, I want to look Ephesians, because it's such a powerful book, and it mentions this idea of where it all begins with identity, because it's identity that determines activity. So before we get to the doing, and the chapter starts out, it emphasizes um, the unity that we have, it emphasizes all the building and growing together that we are, building up each other, this truthing and this loving, all this going on. And yet, before you get out of it, here's where it focuses in at. You get down to verse 20. Just to read this here with me. It says, but that's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and you were taught in him, the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And it says, there, that put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the new self created in God's self is what sets the stage for all of the righteous and holy activity. Your identity determines your activity. 
defining core of who you are, who you are in God, that sets you on your course of action. So one of the best questions a person can ask themselves is, who are you? <laughs> Sometimes in counseling, I'll have someone put down their name in a piece of paper and then put a blank line. And then ask them, okay, fill in that blank line. You know, wherever you go, where at the office or school and around family or friends, whatever it is, now put that definition in there, who, this, who you are. And people put all kinds of things. Some people focus on career. They'll say, well, I'm an engineer. Well, I'm a stay-at-home educator. I'm a, you know, salesperson, you know. I'm a medical provider. Interesting how those are all doing kinds of things. Others will put down their giftings. I'm the smart one in the family. <laughs> I'm the one in the room that gets everybody laughing. <laughs> Others will put in their pain as what defines them. I'm a survivor. I'm the disappointment in the family, <laughs> the one who failed. Who you are. So key, their identity. That's where God starts with us when we first look at this. This is where it begins. And you got to be honest with that blank line. You can't, you can't just give like, we get used to this in church where we're like, well, what's the right answer? You know, what's the Bible answer? No, no, no. Give the real response. Those of us who went through things like Ultimate Journey, we realize that we start to unpack our life, how key even those very early stages of childhood were in the formation of what we'd become and how we would feel and think and go about doing things, acting things. How formative. It's almost like what you really believe, not what you're supposed to believe, but what you really believe is what determines so much that goes on. Even when you're a child, very tender and young age, you're involved in identity formation. Some psychologists think that that's permanent, like in concrete, and that's just not right. Especially for those of you who let the wrong people or the wrong things name you. People who spoke words over you that were not true, yet you believed it. There's a real need for you to get a hold of the truth in Jesus Christ. The Lord your maker, your redeemer, wants to give you a new identity. And that's what's finally and fully going to change your life. How many believers are running around, they're trying to do all that they can, you know, their, their thoughts and behaviors to be like God, like it says here, yet despite all their efforts, they are just not accomplishing it. They get discouraged with their efforts, their activity. What do we learn? You got to go back to identity first, though. Get back to the formation of the me. Change the self, and you'll change the world. Change that life. It'll change how you treat others. If you keep going the rest of the chapter, you see how that comes into play. So our eyes are on you, because we believe that you can change the world. I know that we're right in the middle of these political party conventions, and if you do what they say, they're thinking if you elect and vote in certain people, or you go with one party's plan or policies, that's what's going to bring about the needed change. Don't believe it. Because it begins with what? The idea. It begins with who you are. You want to know how cities and a world large scale gets changed? You change the person. Then the policies are changed. This is God's method. It starts with the little me when people are changed. So this sets up our children's pastor. Hopefully she's ready to come out. It's not because she's little or she works with little people. It's because 
Taryn gets this. She understands the way of Jesus, and she can help us as we're kind of coming through a very strange time. And to get us to understand, well, how can we see our way forward to set into motion? And it does begin to how we can bless this world. Starts with the children up and how we can get involved. Please. I was sharing with the staff today because when I learned it, it kind of blew my mind. And they just kind of looked at me and were like, yeah, I already knew that. Didn't you learn that in school? And I was like, probably. But like most things, I just like let it go on by me. So for me, it was fascinating. So you've probably heard this story before. But I came across this history nugget a few weeks ago. And it, it really connected with the times that I feel that we're in right now. And truthfully, like I said, I, I probably learned this in middle school. Uh, I might have been talking during that time. Most likely I was talking. That's probably why I missed it. So we'll just go with that, the reason I didn't retain this. But in 1519, an explorer named Hernan Cortez arrived at a new land, uh, the new world, as they called it in his day, with a crew of about 600 men. And upon his orders, the men, they disembarked the ship. And I, I, I'm a picture person. I, I think of history like in a movie scene. So I'm, I'm imagining they, they, they arrive at this, you know, the sand and the ocean. And they're looking at this strange new world. And they disembark. And if you have been anywhere with a group of boys, you know that it probably smelled rotten on that ship. Like, I'm imagining our summer camp vans on the trip home. Uh, yeah, you know it smelled horrible. And all of those guys were probably hungry. They might have been cold. They might have been hot. Miserable conditions on, on such a ship. Now, I've never sailed the ocean in a ship of any kind, but I'm thinking that that trip in 1519 was how I felt last week during a week without power. But worse, right? And I imagine Cortez as their leader looking at this land and, and arriving, getting his, his feet on the ground and thinking, we made it. And also thinking, we've got a lot of work still left to do. Now he turns to his men, and they're all too content to stay on that ship. They want to spend the night where they're comfortable, where they're they know what to expect. They know where to go, how to be, how to arrange themselves on this place where they've been for months and maybe even years. They want what is known and what is familiar, and even if that means that it's not as comfortable. And the next morning, in a move of what proved to be brilliant leadership, Cortez commands the crews to burn the ships sending the message to all 600 of them that we're here to stay. And there's no going back. And there's only forward from this point on. That together, we're going to move forward, whether we like it or not. When I relearned this history nugget, it really struck a chord of familiarity with me. And this moment right here in our history feels like a burn the ships kind of moment to some degree life and ministry after COVID. And as we've continued to plan and lead the reopening of BCC on its specific ministries, there have been times where I have just yearned for the past, for what was working back then, what felt familiar, what I knew, 
what was easy for uh, me and the team of volunteers. And I tend to lean towards, these are the messages that I kind of grew up with and, and took on of myself growing up, that I, I'm a survivor, that I have to do everything alone. Thinking that because I'm the leader, it's my responsibility to have all the answers, to have the puzzle figured out, to have everything set in stone, ready to go, all the contingencies planned for, to make sure that all of our ducks are in a row and they're actually like going the same direction. And to some degree, that's true in the sense that, like, the buck stops with me, but it's also not true in the sense that I am not alone. I want to tell you what's happening in the children's ministry right now. Is as a team, we've burned the ships. And we're exploring what does it mean to serve children and their families in the fall of 2020 and moving forward. Now, one of the goals of a great children's ministry is not just engaging with kids, but also equipping parents to be the leader of their children and of their families, giving them the confidence and tools that they need to be who God has called them to be as parents. And I confess, that's been a harder part to implement, and it always is, because I feel more connected to the kids on a Sunday morning when I'm in their classrooms and getting to know them and what makes them tick than I get time with parents. I don't get as much time with you all most of the time. Now, last week, we began a new program in the family venue, and we created a place where families come together and they learn about God's word and what he wants for all of our lives. Our series right now is called All In, and we're learning about the foundations of what does it mean to live a life for God. So we're learning about worship, not just songs, but how do we live a life of worship that honors God? How do we engage with his word? How do we pray? How do we serve? All of those things are things we're going to be going through with our families. And last week, I taught on who do we worship. And I used the story of the Israelites in the desert worshiping the golden calf, mainly as a key of what not to do. And at the end of it, we put up some interactive discussion questions up on the screen. And from my viewpoint on this stage, as the parents were let loose to start talking and engaging with their kids, it was this beautiful moment that I never could have pictured in the way we used to do children's ministry. It was incredible. And I, I was just alone on the stage for just a moment, and all of a sudden I had goosebumps because I saw parents engage with their children around the word of God. I got to see parents lead their kids right there in that moment. See parents take their Bibles and read it with their children. Getting to see parents pray with their children. It was incredible. I've been in children's ministry for almost 10 years now, and I have never had the opportunity to have parents in the room with their children while the children are learning and experiencing God on Sunday morning. It's an incredible gift and a blessing to guide parents in leading their children. Burning the ships has forced us, forced me, to move forward in a way that was unthinkable six, six months ago. But what a blessing it has become. And I am excited about what God will do during this time for our children and for our families right here through BCC. So I'm here to tell you about the multiple ways 
you can be involved in our family venue and in our children's ministry going forward. If you are a family in this room or at home even who would like to participate in our family venue on Sunday mornings, we invite you to join us. Uh, we have space for you and your children, keeping in mind social distancing and good protocols and good safety practice while letting kids be kids. It's a little noisier in that room over there than it is in here, and we love that because we believe that God loves a joyful noise in his house. Now, we also have a desire to reopen our nursery and toddler rooms for our parents who have younger kiddos. It's a little hard to have a toddler in there who doesn't read just yet to stay focused for a whole hour. So we would love this, and we can't do it without you. So this is going to be essential in our ability to continue to serve families moving forward. Many of our volunteers in the various ministries even have younger kids, and having these classrooms open would be a major service to so many in our church. So we have a specific need for nursery and toddler caretakers on campus on Sunday mornings. And lastly, we recognize that, that so the best thing for some of our families is staying at home right now, and we honor that, and we want to continue to serve our families who are engaging with us online. The way that our programming is working in the family venue, it doesn't really work for us to live stream it to people's homes. So we're really going to try and have an online presence that's dedicated to families. So if you're at home or even in this room and you're kind of taking steps back and forth, staying at home sometimes or, or not, we would love to begin having an online teaching presence, and we need volunteers to do that. So we are looking for families or individuals who would be willing to be a guide from home, and we'll set you up with everything you need to be successful. So I'd love for you, if you're interested in any of that, even if you're like, uh, kind of, sort of, but I need more information, I want you to text. You can get your phone out right now. This is a time where you can like be on your phone and no one's going to judge you. So get out your phones and text the word KIDS, K-I-D-S, to 563-484-4277. We will get you plugged in. And it's going to be an hour, an hour on a Sunday morning as we uh, move forward and continue to make this work for our families, we believe that God has called us to serve families and their kids. There's no junior Holy Spirit, is what I always say. So the kids in that room are just as much of a part of the body of Christ as we all are. And we respect that, honor that, and we want to engage with that. So we can't do this without you. And we thank you for all of you who are already serving in some kind of way, praying for us, continuing to engage. So we would love to hear from you again. Text KIDS, K-I-D-S, to 563-484-4277. And so, uh, most likely me, I will get back with you this week as soon as we hear from you. So thank you so much. And I believe it is time to pray. So if you will join me in approaching the throne of our Father. Oh, Father God, thank you so much for this day, Lord. What a blessing it is to be in your house once again. Lord, we thank you for who you are, that your truth transcends anything we might have learned about ourselves growing up, good or bad, Lord. You have created us, knit us together, made us who we are so that we can fulfill your purposes. Whether we are five, 50, or 105, Lord, you have plans for us that are greater and bigger than anything we could imagine. Lord, we thank you for the gift that it is to have children in our midst, 
that children matter, that you bless them, that you ask us to bless them, to create a space for them where they can learn about a God who loves them, who has created them, and has a purpose for them. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done in our lives and that we could turn around and give that to children and to their families as a part of your upper story that we want to be a part of. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room thinking that, I don't know if I can do that. That sounds intimidating, Lord, that you would bring them a peace that allows them to move to action. Lord, we thank you for what a great privilege it is to join you in your work, to join you in your upper story, your big story that transcends all of time and history. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that the challenges have brought, and we ask you to bless our efforts. It's in your names that we pray. Amen.